going to take a look at yields and some of the other ripple effect with you in just a second here. We'll get a full screen ready, but first let's bring in Bob Iacchino. He's the founder of the Chief Strategy of Path Trading Partners to get his initial take on the CPI data. Bob, this is, uh, well, uh, to say the least, higher than expected. Uh, again, we were hearing 8.7, 8.8. Bob, it looks like he came in at 9.1. We've got the core on the rise as well, month over month. I mean, across the board here, this number uh, well above expectations. So what we're looking at right now is a surprising jump. It's not the 9.1 that bothers me. It's really that month over month number. Okay, the 1.3. Yeah, the, the 1.3 and then the core at 0.7. Literally, that core has to drop down to 0.2. Mm. Uh, 0.1, and, or, I'm sorry, 0 0.1 to 0.2, possibly 0.3 over the course of several months to be able to get that Fed 2%, which we're obviously not going to get close to anytime soon. The year over year is an interesting thing because you cannot get a year over year change until you get that month over month CPI to stabilize. And last month, they were expecting it to be somewhere around 0.3 and it came out around 0.6 or 0.7. I don't remember exactly. Actually, it might've come out at 1%. But that month over month number is really, really troubling for the Fed in terms of whether they can back off or not. They absolutely cannot back off given the sort of rhetoric that they've put around inflation over the last few weeks and months, talking about inflation as their number one priority, uh, the politicians in the mix talking about inflation was the Fed's problem. They simply cannot back off. This assures a 75 basis points at the next meeting and probably assures at least 50 in the meeting after that. Bob, to your point, troubling for the Fed, it assures the uh, increase as is mentioned, but also uh, concerning for investors here as well. I mean, as we look at the sell side reaction to, we've got over 100 points in reaction to this number here this morning. We spiked up to 38.70, back down here right now, 37.60 as we speak, a reflection of the unease that uh, this number, uh, you know, sparks. So I think there's something that sort of your average equity investor doesn't realize most of the time is that Stocks look for a reason to go down, and if they don't find it, they go up. In other words, the natural uh, sort of state of the U.S. equity markets is slightly higher versus yesterday's close. Okay. That's the bias. And it's really the only thing we talk about that kind of has that bias. When you're talking about uh, commodities, it's supply and demand. When you're talking about precious metals, obviously that's a commodity, it's supply and demand. Uh, but with equity markets, there's always these sort of long only funds that get involved and they're always long only. This is clearly a reason to think that the Fed is likely going to be quite a bit, not more aggressive, not necessarily more aggressive, I don't expect a 100 basis point rate hike, but they're likely to be this level of aggressive for the foreseeable future. And again, I mentioned this before, one of the issues with these, these sort of um, inflation change on the month or change on the year numbers, is when you're looking at the peak inflation level, CPI is an index, right? So when you look at, I'm just kind of figuring this out as we're talking, we're up 37% from the peak CPI level in the last recession, okay? So that means that even if we get zero change, we're still up 37% from where we were in 2009 in prices, okay? So that's going to be stable, and these numbers are going to come out at 0 0.0, 0 0.1. The year-over-year -year change maybe gets back down to 4, but we're still 37% higher than we were 12, 13 years ago. So those prices stay flat. So it not only is 
um, important to the economy that this rate of inflation, this rate of price increase slows, but that it flattens out for quite some time. The Fed has to stay aggressive. There's nothing they can do at this point. Bob, let's talk a little bit about the U.S. dollar. What does it mean for the greenback? It seems to support uh, not only the Fed in terms of their initiative uh, rate hikes and that movement to the upside, but also the trajectory we've seen as far as the U.S. dollar. Well, I'm looking at a Canadian dollar chart right here, and it doesn't seem to be doing anything but continuing to stay strong. I would assume, I don't have the chart up, that this is going to keep uh, the dollar strong at yeah. least versus the euro yeah. and at least versus the pound. Um, Canada has had some pretty strong inflation numbers lately. We looked over at Canada last month, uh, their last month inflation numbers, which came out last week, and they were strong to the same tune of the U.S. CPI. They were uh, worse than expected in that sort of eight, nine handle on the year over year. So I suspect the Canadian dollar is going to continue to strengthen on the backs of uh, their rate decision that's coming and on the backs of the strong CPI in the U.S. because they're so intertwined. Uh, Bank of Canada today, another focal point here. It's not just inflation data here in the U.S., but uh, we'll get some information in terms of our neighbors to the north as far as central bankers. Yeah, and again, I think they're going to have to stay on the path that they've been on, which is removing accommodation. You know, it's interesting. People are talking about when the central banks are going to pivot. And uh, I had a little conversation with my friend uh, Jim Iurio about the word pivot. I think pivot implies what we just saw from the Fed recently was a pivot from easy monetary policy to tight monetary policy. The Fed, in my mind, is not going to pivot anytime soon because that would be a pivot from tight to easy. And I don't see that coming regardless of what happens to asset prices here. I mean, you mentioned that we had about a 100-point turnaround. I don't have a, an index chart in front of me, whether it's ES or NASDAQ. Um, but I suspect where the weakness is pretty sustainable at this point given this particular set of numbers, because of, again, what we talked about a few minutes ago, the Fed isn't likely to pivot. They're likely to pause at some point. But this particular number means it's not going to be at the next two meetings. And I suspect the same thing applies to the Bank of Canada because of the strength of their inflation numbers last week. Hey, Bob, you know, we talk about how there's not always a carryover from one to the other or a trickle down, I guess, uh, is really the subject matter that we're kind of thinking about here as far as PPI, where does this set us on a path from the producer side of things now? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. So PPI has actually gained importance again. It had kind of dropped into the background because we'd seen strong PPIs over the years not bleed mm -hmm. into the CPI. Mm -hmm. Now it becomes kind of a reverse thing. We kind of want to see PPI ease so that maybe we can see prices on the consumer level ease. Definitely over the last decade, strong PPIs have not bled into the consumer. Now we've obviously got consumer inflation. That's like the, the most obvious statement I could possibly make after the CPI number. Now we have to see if producer prices or input prices start to fall. That'll reflect the supply chain and to a certain point labor costs. You know, we saw a little bit weaker uh, wage growth in the non-farm payrolls number on Friday, but that's a lagging indicator at this point. We've got services inflation that we've talked about being sticky. The PPI is going to be sort of a leading indicator now for us as to whether we're getting some relief in the future on the consumer side or not. Bob, where will that relief come from ultimately? I mean, we talk about commodity prices that have come off. Is that where we have to focus? Well, I mean, copper's down 37% from the peak. Yeah. Right. I mean, 30, as of yesterday, I didn't look at copper today. I think it's up a little bit, but it's down 37 percent from the peak, the recent peak, not the all time high, but the recent peak as of yesterday. So clearly one of the issues we have with inflation now is it's 
took enough time for the Fed to react to it that it's bled into services inflation. Now, if you think about services inflation, it's very similar to wage inflation, right? It's sticky. If somebody gives you a raise, right, you're not likely to give that back anytime soon. It's the same thing with a service price of something. If your, uh, your accountant raises his wages or your landscaper raises, raises his price, they're not likely to knock on your door and say, we're going back down to our 2017 prices. That's not likely to happen. So service inflation is much more sticky than products inflation. You're not going to get a discount anytime soon on that. So uh, when you look at it from that perspective, uh, I think that's probably the key going forward and why that relief isn't likely to come from commodity prices. Bob, um, lastly, as we, uh, well, await the ECB, central bank activity to come. What are you looking for in terms of rates? The yield curve, obviously a major focal point, the inversion thereof. And, you know, in the past we had talked about how it was not necessarily sustained. We talked about how it being different in a lower rate environment, all those factors seem to be kind of uh, no longer part of the discussion anymore. I mean, again, while we are still in this range here right now, uh, holding, we'll call it three, five, I think it was down to, uh, 2726 ultimately for the 10 year. But uh, what are you watching in, in terms of uh, uh, rates right now and your expectations as we head into the second half of this year? So, prior to the CPI number, there's three things I'll point out on rates. And Mike Zaremski pointed out that this is the biggest inversion in the two tens, I think he said since 2007. Mm -hmm. Well, you've had your eye on the short end for a while. You've been telling us about the one to two month, I think it was. Yeah, well, that's that was my next point. The three month is actually up 38 basis points since the middle of June. Okay. That's a massive move for such a short term interest rate. That's obviously showing that the Fed is very serious on the short end, possibly implying they could accelerate asset, uh, the balance sheet runoff. That's what that's possibly implying. But it's not only the, the level of the twos ten spread, as Michael pointed out. We've now, if you include today, we're inverted on the twos tens for six consecutive sessions. If you go back to April 1st, we were actually inverted by six basis points on the twos tens, but it was only inverted for two days and it righted itself very quickly. You look at the fives tens, the fives tens uh, yield curve spread has now been inverted for 23 of the last, I'm sorry, 21 of the last 23 sessions, if I include today yeah. at the close. So not just they dipped into inverted, I'm talking yeah. closing. Yeah. So these are very significant in terms of what the interest rate market is telling you about the future of the U.S. economy. Bob, uh, lastly, uh, in terms of other foreign currencies to keep an eye on here, obviously the yen's been a factor to consider. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about the euro a little bit and some of the others. Talk to us a little bit about the yen. Uh, again, I mean, when you're talking about fueling the fire to the upside in terms of the U.S. dollars, there's a lot of fundamental factors here, but there's also uh, major considerations when you look at the basket of currencies that makes up that inverse correlation. Yeah, I think you're right to bring up the yen because at some point, I believe the Bank of Japan is going to have to break from that yield fixing they're doing with their JGBs of that mm -hmm. zero to 25 basis points. The market continues to press that. And then they continue to fund operations at that rate, bringing that rate back down. And at some point, that's a big loss to the central bank, right? That's literally, they're taking losses every day on that. So at some point, they're going to have to break from that. And that's the only way that I think the dollar comes off because we've already got the weakness of the euro. I think the euro probably stabilizes somewhere just below parity and then probably gains a little bit back from there. You know, we've been talking about parity in the euro for mm -hmm. so long now that we've gotten there. It's almost anticlimactic for traders. I mean, who wants to short it at parity 
when parity was the stated target since about 103. Yeah right on the euro so you're likely to get a little bit of relief there in the euro but the yen is just consistently under pressure because of that yield fixing and because it's not really working so i think those are the two that have to kind of turn around for the dollar to show a little bit of signs of weakness the other thing is the fed is likely to get pressure from emerging markets the stronger the dollar gets so that's something else I've got my my eye on, how much pressure we're getting in emerging markets because strong dollars not good for their dollar-denominated debt that they've issued billions and billions of dollars of. Yeah, a reflection of what, uh, you know, circumstance uh, and the really kind of uh, uh, end result thereof in terms of some of that uh, spending. Bob, appreciate you joining us here. A great breakdown here. A big number here this morning. Again, CPI coming in well above expectations and a wide range uh, market reaction to Bob Iaccino joining us here this morning. Always a pleasure to have you with us, Bob.